On today's episode of The Conversation, we're talking with Antoinette Folks, who is a community planner. I asked Antoinette here today to talk to us about her role as community planner and helping communities write successful grants. So Antoinette, we welcome you and we're excited to hear from you today. Awesome. Thanks, Joy, for having me. I'm so excited to be here talking with you guys today. Um, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody um, and we will get started with what you have to say on the conversation, girl. Hi, everyone. My name is Antoinette Folks. I am um, a community planner. I have been in the field of planning for now three years so I'm still new but I'm learning a lot and I'm enjoying it I'm enjoying doing community work and helping communities grow um, I just truly have a heart for communities thriving and um, seeing them really be the best that they can be so Antoinette how did you get to where you are now as a community planner Wow, it has most definitely been a journey. I will say it got started, honestly, when I was in high school, when I was in the ninth grade, my mom signed me up for this program here in my hometown of Birmingham. And it's through the Birmingham Waterworks. They have what they call the Water Ambassadors Program. And I signed up for that summer program and I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but essentially the program is designed. It takes high school students and it introduces them to just the world of environmental science, environmental engineering, what a career um, working for the Birmingham Waterworks could look like. So they took us around to the different water filtration pumps. We learned that entire process. We learned about um, just the environmental impacts that we as humans have on our community. We learned about the various watersheds that are surrounding the Birmingham and Jefferson County area and just what opportunities are available, you know, if you avail yourself to those opportunities. So I would say that's truly where it started. And I participated in that program every summer throughout high school, even up until my freshman year at Alabama A&M University, where I went on to study environmental science and environmental health. And it was at Alabama A&M University that I continued in that vein of, you know, having an interest in the environment and the impact that humans have on the environment and how the environment impacts us. Um, and I'll say it's there that one of my professors, you know, they just encouraged me to one, do as much research as I possibly can and two, remain curious about the things that I'm seeing in my community and in my environment. And at the time I didn't know you know, just a lot of what I was seeing in my community, how it tied back to urban planning. And while I was at Alabama A&M, I had a tutor that was in the community and regional planning program and, or what you call the urban planning program. And we would talk about everything that they were learning in their classes and how it all intersected with environmental science. And once I graduated from Alabama A&M, I went on to Iowa State University and majored in community and regional planning. And 
it was there that I really just saw how it all fit together. And I'll say my first opportunity of being able to truly see how the two interacted outside of academia was when I was granted um, a fellowship through the University of Michigan's program, the EFP program, and that's headed up by Dr. Dorsita Taylor. And I was placed in Minneapolis and I had the chance to do community work that was centered around environmental justice um, and environmental impacts. And that's when it really opened my eyes to, wow, this is the type of work that I want to do with communities coming alongside them, whether that's acting as a consultant, helping them to come up with solutions to various environmental um, situations that they're facing. So that in itself is a long answer, but that is what has helped me to get to where I am. And I'm currently working now as a planner, but I'm focusing more so on hazard mitigation. And so that is where I find myself now and just learning more about hazard mitigation and what I can do as a planner to help communities uh, prepare for various disasters because we're seeing that disasters are one, they're always going to come, but we're seeing just the frequency of them increase. So it's been interesting um, just seeing how, you know, planning and environmental science, how it all still connects and just, I never would have thought that it would have landed me where I am now working with hazard mitigation. I know you kept saying um, when you first started that you kept seeing things in your community. So what were some of the things that you kept seeing? I'll say one of the big things that I kept seeing in my community, I saw just how you would go from one side of town crossing the railroad tracks and you would see how one community would have beautiful environmental spaces and you would cross one side of the railroad tracks and you would see that there were um, nuance. well, I would say, just the difference in environment, um, the difference in how space was cared for, um, you would see, and then more so in the black communities, you would see more um, environmental pollution. Whereas once you went to one side of town, you didn't see that. And I was always curious as to why that was the way that it was. And it wasn't until I started getting into my urban planning or my community and regional planning program that I learned, you know, why that was. And so I was always curious about that. And I didn't realize just how that was all interconnected as well. You know, it's funny because I started the kind of the same way, right? Like I grew up in a small community and I'm watching, you know, the separation, what is going on in these black and brown communities and we see them dilapidated, right? Um, and you see them full of, you know, pollution, but then you can drive up five miles, 10 miles up the road and, you know, it's completely different. And so that's kind of what got me started too. So I definitely relate to that. Yeah, so that was one of the, and nobody gave me, no one really put a name to what I was seeing. And it wasn't until I learned in my planning courses just how things came about and why we see what it is that we see in our communities. You know, it didn't just happen. You know, a lot of this 
this stuff, you know, just comes through planning, development, how land is used, the, um, the allocation of resources. And oftentimes our black and brown communities, we don't get those resources until later on. So it's not just things that I'm seeing in my community here in Birmingham. It's stuff you're seeing, you know, in your community in Texas or people in Louisiana. Is we're seeing it, but oftentimes we don't understand the why and how is this happening, and why is why has it been going on for so long? Yeah, definitely. Now, okay, so you've moved into hazard mitigation. So you got to tell me a little bit about what you're doing um, and how you got there. And if there's a connection between, you know, um, what you saw in your own community and even now as as you're working in hazard mitigation. Yeah, so I, I most definitely believe that my steps were ordered. I was in Iowa State. Um, in grad school and just so happened one day I was in I literally left school I was like okay I need a break so I drove down to Des Moines because where I was in school was in Ames and Des Moines and Ames are about 30 45 minutes away so I just went to the mall you know I was like okay grad school is tiring I need to take a break went down there and I was like okay I need to stop and get some gas and stopped and got some gas and just so happened I was parked and with the way my car was parked you could see as soon as you open the door to the gas station you could see my Alabama tag and you could see my Alabama and um license plate around it and this lady look cute petite lady walks out she was like hey what you doing up here I was like hello <laughs> um who are you but I was like hi she was like you from my neck of the woods I'm from Atlanta I was like oh I'm from Birmingham and we started to converse and I told her you know I was in school majored in environmental science and environmental health and I was in grad school working on my master's in planning and she was like oh wow you should um connect with me um I work for you know an agency with the federal government and you will be a great asset. And so I ended up getting connected to her and that is what um, led me into learning about FEMA and the various opportunities there and how I could utilize both my environmental science and my community planning degree. So I met her in 2018 and I graduated, I finished my program at Iowa State that December, and it wasn't until three years later that I, you know, eventually accepted a job opportunity with them. And I was just like, oh, wow, I never, you just never know who you'll meet and just how staying connected to people, even if, it, you know, you don't have to talk to them all the time, but making sure the people within your network, the people that you meet, that they are aware of what it is that you're doing. Just, you know, staying in contact saying, hey, I just wanna let you know, you know, I finished grad school. I'm looking for some job opportunities. If you know of some things, you know, please keep me in mind. This is where my interests lie. And as your interests change, just stay in the loop with people and what it is that they're doing and networking. And so that's truly how I have landed where I am because, I didn't know that a relationship that was established just from, you know, being personable 
and one carrying myself in, in a manner that was approachable and a woman just feeling the the need to just say hey what are you doing up here I see your tag and being able to just share with her just who I am and what it is that I'm doing because you never know when you will have that elevator speech and you need to present it so it's not always in the elevator it might be the gas station speech that you got to give somebody but you know just just being open and and staying connected to your network of people and letting them know what it is that you're into, what you're doing, because you never know who they might know and connect you to. And that can be the start of, you know, an opportunity or just a new partnership. Yeah, definitely. So on your day-to-day, what do you do? So my day-to-day consists of, with me being a planner, I am assisting communities um, more so providing direct technical assistance as they are applying for grants. Um, I work with a specific grant. So just coming alongside those communities that may not have the capability or the capacity to prepare everything that's needed for those grants. So helping them and walking alongside them so that they can prepare and submit a successful grant application. So that has been just, you know, I would say right along my alley because the work that I was doing prior to coming to the federal government, I didn't necessarily have the opportunity to work with communities that look like me and being able to help communities that look like me and I under, truly understand their need is something that aligns with my vision and making sure that those communities are thriving. So that is something that truly excites me you know, when I go to work. That's really cool. Now, why don't you talk about a little bit, because you said a successful grant application. What does a successful grant application look like? So one of the things when it comes to just those grant applications, one thing that I've learned when it comes to helping applicants prepare is making sure that one, you have proper documentation. Document as much as you possibly can. That documentation can be, you know, whether it's receipts that you have of things that you guys have purchased that um, that can go in support of your claim. So say for instance, I'm helping a community and they are applying for um, a grant to get assistance with hazard mitigation. So what a, what supporting documentation do you have that you can submit along with your application that will say, hey, these are some of the things that we've done. This is documentation that we have that shows we have this issue in our in our community, whether that be photos, you know, receipts saying that well, over the past four or five years, we have had to address this issue five times. This is how much money we've put out over this, these five years. Um, but if, if we get this grant and we implement X, Y, Z strategy that will help to reduce, you know, one, the loss within our community, the reoccurring X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, it would help. So essentially just having documentation to support your claim and also being as detailed as possible in your narrative, um, in, t- in terms of, I like to say, telling your story. It's about storytelling. So what is the story that you're telling? Are you 
looking at it from the perspective of, yes, the person that might be reviewing your application, you might think that they are aware of what it is that you're talking about, but I would say, look at it from the perspective of this person has no knowledge. They've never heard of my town. They've never heard of flooding. They've never heard of wildfires and the impacts that they have on a community. So I would say, keep it simple, but be as detailed as possible and make sure that you have documentation to support your claim as to why you need to receive those funds. And also, you know, be detailed in the sense of like, how are you going to manage that money? Um, do you have the staff that can come alongside and help manage it? Um, and keeping records of all of that so that, you know, once you get the funding, if you are awarded it, what story will you be able to tell to not only the people that granted you the money, but also to your community so that others can see, hey, we started out, we needed help, we didn't know really what all went into this process, but we've documented everything. And so now we can come alongside and maybe help another community with a similar profile as us to help them walk through that process because we've documented everything that you'll need to go through. And so each grant will look different because the need will be different. But I think having those key points of really detailing your narrative, being as detailed as possible, and documenting, having proper documentation to support your claim. Now, what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes that communities make and what they should have in their packet to um, mitigate against those mistakes? Um, I would just say, like I said, not being as detailed as possible, um, not giving enough information, sometimes more is better, you know, you, like I stated, you never want to assume that the person that's reviewing your application knows what it is you're talking about. So be, being as detailed as possible. And if you have questions, you know, feel free to reach out them, um, whomever it is that you're working with when it comes to their grant, whether it's a nonprofit or a federal agency, whomever, they have some people in place that can assist you. So always, always reach out and ask for clarity if it's something that you are unaware of. So I really love scenarios. So if I was, let's say a small nonprofit um, and applying for one of these grants, what would I need in my package um, that I can walk up and be able to say that this is a successful grant application? Mm. I would say you have photos, you have detailed exactly one, what the risk is, what is your plan, what is the action that you are going to take, what is the cost associated with it, um, how much money are you requesting from us, and say if the grant that you're requesting, say they don't give you all of the money, but they'll provide say 50% of it or 25% or 75%, they might want to know where's the rest of the money going to come from. Making sure that you detail all of that and you provide, you know, responses that are detailed so that they don't necessarily have to go back and request more information. I would say those are some of the, the, the most important things to, to have a successful application. And I think that will, that can be applicable to anybody. 
that's really good. That's helpful. Um, so how do you actually like doing your job now? Um, helping people with their applications. I mean, everything from your day to day. What, what's your take on it? I'll say it's been the it's been consistent because prior to coming over to the federal government, I was working for um, a local government up in Virginia, and it was still the same. You come alongside individuals, and they have applications. When I was at the local level, we weren't doing grants, but we were helping community members. Um, we were helping citizens apply for, it might be a conditional use permit. Um, we were helping them get permits for buildings. So it's still the same work. I would say the biggest thing is just being able to engage with the community members and helping them address issues because somebody might come in. I remember when I was working with the local government, somebody was applying for a permit and they were opening up their first business. So essentially as a planner, I'm making sure that I'm walking them through the process because oftentimes citizens don't know the process. They just think, oh, I just need to submit an application, pay my money, and you know, I should be able to get my permit within like a week's time. But what people don't realize, you know, planning takes a little bit longer than that. And so when we would tell them the timeline of the process, they're like, whoa, I didn't know it was that long. So walking alongside them, keeping them informed, letting them know what the process is, if there are any changes, when they need to be present, if they're um, having to go before any boards or things of that nature really just, you know, guiding them through it. And I like to refer to myself as essentially just a guidance counselor through the planning process, because the average person is not aware of the ins and outs of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, so I want to thank you for answering all of those questions, but I also want to find out, do you have anything else that you want to add that we haven't talked about? Maybe some advice to the communities out there? Um, yeah, so just some things that I would encourage communities, you know, as we're dealing with climate change and seeing how that is impacting communities, I would just encourage communities to one, you know, consider talking to some of your local planners, some of your local officials about the importance of having a hazard mitigation plan in place. Um, and even if it's a local community group, you know, those are some things to be mindful of. If you see that you guys experience reoccurring flooding or you are in a community where you're prone to wildfires, you know, sit down and think about it, you know, consider like, what is the hazard? Um, what's the community assets within our community? Have we identified them? Have we been keeping track of them over time? Um, what's vulnerable within our community? And truly, what's the impact? You know, if we don't address this, what will happen? But, you know, what will happen if we do address it? And keeping in mind, like, what is our goal? The goal is to make sure that we protect our community and getting on one accord and coming up with a strategy on how we are going to go about, you know, mitigating or reducing any loss or reoccurring um, whatever in our community because we want to safeguard it and make sure that our communities are resilient. 
So having a plan in place and, you know, once we go through those steps and we identify what those things are and we have a plan in place, make sure that we constantly go back to check that plan, making sure that we're updating it. Did we do what we said we were going to do previously to mitigate X, Y, and Z goal? Okay, we've accomplished that. Is there something else that maybe we need to prioritize now that we did not see when we first went through that planning process? So those are some things that I would say um, would be good tips for communities. And also just remembering to document your processes because what it is that you're going through that process can always help someone else. And that's helping to build your capacity and capability to walk alongside others and help them do the same type of work to you know, safeguard their communities. And I'll say the most important thing is just always include you know, the community, the community members, making sure that they are a part of the process because that helps to build ownership and just educating the community about the importance of what it is that you're doing and how it's going to save and protect your community that you live in. Yeah, definitely. I think that inclusivity is so important because we don't always include everybody. We have like this big bright idea and then we want to implement a plan, but we didn't ask to see if everyone either agrees or at least the majority because um, everybody's not going to agree. But definitely. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, that that is honestly it. I have enjoyed <laughs> connecting with you. This has been truly um a great opportunity. I've enjoyed this. Yes, I've enjoyed having you as well. You can come back anytime you want to. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Conversation. Um, it was such a great pleasure to speak to you. And again, you are definitely welcome back anytime. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.